chapter 42. And um, I have mentioned um, before, dealing, dealing with life. That's what I entitled this message is, dealing with life. I didn't get to read it, but here in the Bible, the, uh, Jacob said, everything is against me. That's what Jacob said in our reading. Everything is against me. wonder, have you ever said that before? I don't know, you may have woken up one morning and just about anything that could go wrong went wrong that particular morning. You missed the bus, you left your driving license at home, you had an accident, everything seemed to go wrong on that particular day and you think to yourself, someone is conspiring against me because everything has gone wrong. I don't know if you had one of those days in your history. But on a serious note, a number of people have faced huge issues in their lives. They've gone through divorce. They've not seen their children. Or maybe they are, they are unable to have children. They lost a job. They've got money worries. Relationships have broken down. Some people just can't take what life throws at them. And we hear and we read at times people committing suicide. One of the notable figures is Robbie Williams, the actor, Mrs. Doubtfire, you might remember him, killing himself because of utter hopelessness. Nothing more to look forward to life. There's nothing going for me. And sometimes people get to that point and they say things like this, Everything is against me. Well, how do we overcome those obstacles? Well, we look at our Bible reading and we see how Jacob came to those words and we see what he experienced as we look through this chapter that we've read. The first thing that I want you to see in our Bible reading is um, this word hidden. You see, Jacob said to his sons, ten of them, while they were in Canaan, he said to them, I've heard that there's grain, there's food in Egypt. I'm sending you up there to get food for our families. So ten brothers leave Jacob. They leave their youngest brother behind and they go up to the land of Egypt. And when they get to Egypt... They see a man, the one they had rejected. They finally meet the one that they hated. They finally meet the one that they disliked. Not the one, the one that had a colorful coat that got thrown and, and dipped in blood. The one that they threw into a ditch and ignored his screams for mercy. They finally find, see that one, but he's no longer that little 16, 17-year-old boy. He's now a governor, dressed in fine clothes, with a different hairstyle and a different beard, strong and handsome and good-looking, and everyone honors him. That's who they see. And the Bible says this. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. 
Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies, you've come to see where the land... Though Joseph recognized them, he knew them, they haven't changed. But they did not recognize him. You know, I'm reminded of um, a story in the New Testament. Do you know when Jesus was crucified on the cross and then he was buried and on the third day he rose again from the dead and he met two of his disciples on the way to Emmaus. These two men, they left Jerusalem. They left the time when they saw Jesus being dead and, and buried and they left Jerusalem and they were heading to Emmaus. And as they were going to Emmaus, we read these words in the New Testament. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. These men, like the brothers, were so close to Jesus as they walked, but they didn't recognize him. Those brothers in Egypt could have reached out and touched Joseph, but they didn't recognize him. These men, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, could have touched Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. You know, this is my fear. Many of us in the church fail to really recognize and to see who Jesus really is. To some of us, he's a friend, and we praise God that he's a friend. Others of us, we see him as a rescuer. He's helped me, and he's rescued me. Somebody wrote a song, and the song went something like this, Jesus, lover of my soul. But that's only a part. Oh, to catch a glimpse of who Jesus really is. We're here in church and some of us got some understanding. Some of you know, you may not be born again Christians, but you're here. And you know that Jesus is a good man. And you've read something in the Bible about him. But you do not really know who he is. I want to tell you this morning. He's more than a friend. He's more than a rescuer and a deliverer. Look what the word of God tells me about Jesus. He says this. The son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image, in other words, of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to see God, look at Jesus. Wow. But not only that, the Bible tells me something else. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. What God is, my dear friend, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of his being. That's Jesus. Oh, there's more. The Bible turns around. I like what John the Baptist, John the, the Apostle, when he was on the island of Patmos, 
this, 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 this disciple, he, he, he knew Jesus when he walked on the face of the earth. But when Jesus ascended into glory and he saw Jesus again, the Bible turned around and said this. When John saw him, he said his hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. In other words, indicating his purity and his eyes were like blazing fire. That's not the Jesus that walked in Galilee. That's not the Jesus who went to the cross at in Jerusalem. That's not the Jesus who walked around and men touched him. No, no, no. This is an image of one who's more glorious. In fact, Paul turns around and speaks about Jesus and he says this. We await for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and our great Savior. Who is he? Jesus Christ. I'm so fearful that so many of us, including me, we get a glimpse of Jesus and we think we recognize him. But I want to tell you this morning, you do not recognize him. You do not know him. I, re- I do not know him myself. I only see through a glass dimly. But oh, when the glass, the fail is pulled back and we see Jesus, we see him as the image of the invisible God. And when you see him, my dear friend, you will not be casual. You will not be saying, oh, it's a bit boring Sunday morning talking about Jesus. When you see him, I want to tell you, you will fall at your face as though you're dead. When you see Jesus. And these men over in Egypt, they went and bowed down to Joseph. It was their brother, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. They, 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 were, they were fooled by his appearance. They didn't know who he was. And we go into the New Testament and two men go into Emmaus Road. And Jesus stands by them, walking with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is here by his spirit. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him this morning? Because if you know him, you won't be casual. If you know him, you will bow down your knee to him now and say, my Lord and my God. If you know him, you will turn around and say, I am full of sin, but you are full of grace. If you know him, my dear friend, you will draw near to him. But it may be that we do not fully know Jesus. But I want to say something here. We look at Joseph. Those brothers did not know Joseph. But guess what? Joseph, he knew his brothers. He knew what scallywags they were. Oh, we're righteous men. We're not spies. We're good men. We've got families. We, we are sons of all one man. We're very good. Ah, says Joseph, you may tell me that you're good, but I know you. I know what you've done. You're scallywags. Joseph knew them. The Bible tells me that we may not know Jesus very well, but the Bible tells me that Jesus knows you. Look at his word in Psalms, says this. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God knows your frame. 
He knows how you was fought. In fact, it was him who made you in the first place. It was him who made Adam from the dust of the earth. And the Bible says, from dust you are, and dust you shall return. It's Jesus God who made you. And he formed you even in the womb of your parents. And he knows you. And the Bible says, I know their frame. I know how he is formed. I know her characteristics. I know her weaknesses. I remember how you're formed. And guess what? He knows that you're weak. Some of you struggle with sin. All of you struggle with sin. Everyone here, including me, struggle in different areas. Weak men and women. Weak people who want to live the Christian life, but we are failing and we are weak and we are helpless so many times. And the Bible says he knows your frame. He knows how you fall. And look what the Bible says. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows how you are formed and he has compassion on you. He knows that you are weak. Maybe you've got a bad temper and maybe you, 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 don't, you lose it sometimes. He knows that you're weak and he has compassion on you. Maybe you're someone who's got other failings, other sins, other things going on in your life that you don't like. You wish they was different. He knows how you are formed. The Bible says that God has compassion on you as the Father has compassion on his children. Praise God. He doesn't know you and therefore turns away from you. He knows you and he turns towards you. And has compassion on you. Amen. That's the God we're here worshipping today. Do you know him, my dear friends? If you don't know him, who's going to have compassion on you? God knows your frame. And he has compassion on you. That's my first point, hidden. The second thing I want to speak about is conviction. Because here, Joseph speaks harshly to these brothers of his. He knew they wasn't spies. But he accuses them of being spies. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you. You are spies. He then proceeds to take all ten brothers and lock him in prison. I don't know if Joseph loved that. I, I don't know. You know, he's been in prison himself. He probably put him in the same dungeon that he was in. How you like that? But he placed them in custody for three days in prison. And while they were in, there in prison for three days, their time to think, their time to reflect. What do they think about? The Bible tells us. Look at what it says. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now, we must give an accounting for his blood. They were going about their business quite happily before the famine. Didn't worry about Joseph. Maybe didn't give him a thought. 
But now they're in prison. Now they're locked up. Now that they are in trouble, conviction has come upon them. And they're beginning to wonder and they're beginning to see what they did was evil. What they did was wicked. What they did was ungodly. They were being convicted in that prison cell. Conviction is not a bad thing. In fact, I will say, being convicted is a very good thing. You know, Jesus speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit says this. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world in regards to sin. The Holy Spirit, when he comes... The first thing the Holy Spirit will do when he comes is that he will convict the world. He will begin to make you feel guilty. He will begin to make you have a deep, deep sorrow for the things you did wrong, the things that you have done against God. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will make you feel bad on the things that you have done. And because you feel this deep sorrow, because of your sin, you begin to groan under the weight of it. You begin to be uncomfortable because of the sin on your shoulders. There's a man called John Bunyan, and and he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. And in this book he wrote, he described this young man at home, going about his life, and the and, and, and in this book story that he wrote, he spoke about this young man having a weight of sin on his shoulders. It was like a boulder, he said. He describes it as a boulder on his shoulders, and he had to get rid of it. Well, that is the sin the Holy Spirit comes to convict you of. He comes to remind you that you have sinned against God, that you're guilty. That you've got a weight that needs to be dealt with. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes and convicts you of your sin. The question is, we have people even within the church, unfortunately, who do not know what conviction is. Paul meets these people in the Bible. What Paul says, your, 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 your conscience should be, is meant to be soft. Your conscience is meant to be tender. So when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you and speaks to you because your conscience is tender and soft, you feel the weight of your sin. But Paul meets some men in the Bible. They're not like that. Look at what he says. Such teaching come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. In other words, their consciences have become hard. So when God comes by his Holy Spirit, and I'm telling you now, this is talking about people in the church, not outside. This verse is talking not only about people in the church, it's talking about people in my position. Preachers and teachers. He's talking to me more than he's talking to you. But I'm preaching it anyway. 
Because teachers, such teaching come from hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared and become hardened against the workings of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. I doubt that these men are truly saved. But the first operation of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. Let me ask you a few questions. Does your sin trouble you? Do you long to do better? Do you hate the things that you do? Well, if you do, my dear friends, it's good news. The Spirit of God is working in your heart and your life. It's good news, my dear friends. If you can say yes to these questions, then the Spirit of God has not finished with you. He's touching you and he's moving in you and he's doing his work of bringing conviction into your life. That is a good thing. These men, ten brothers, they were in prison. While they were in the land of Canaan, they had no conviction. But now they're in prison. They're remembering the evil that they did to their brother. And that was a good thing. Because the Spirit of God was working in their hearts and reminding them that they are evil and wicked. Oh, we need the Spirit of God to work in our day and age. People are told, don't worry about your sin. It's a psychological problem. Sit down and have some therapy. You like children? Well, sit down. Let's talk about it. You want to pornography? Oh, don't matter that. We can sort that out with a few little rounds of therapy and, and discussion groups. Oh, no, 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 no. The Spirit of God will come and bring conviction that we will cry out and groan and say, Oh, God, will you please forgive me? Will you cleanse me from my sin? Will you wash me, oh God, that I might be clean and righteous? Will you come and do a work in me? That's what conviction does. It leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ, that we might cry out for mercy. Praise be to God. Let's close this message with a third heading, blessing. Blessing. Well, finally, Joseph has a change of heart. He brings these ten men out of prison and he said to them, listen, nine of you go home. Your families are starving. Take food to your starving family, but one of you will stay in prison until you bring back your younger brother. I think that's what the Bible said. To them. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving families. Simeon was the one who stayed behind. The brothers left. They looked at Simeon and he was being bound in chains before their eyes. Bound with shackles round his wrist and round his feet and they watched him being carried back into prison and they left they left him chained and all nine of them went away as free men but not only did they go away free they also discovered there was something left in their sacks 
Look what the Bible says. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. In fact, the Bible says all of them had the same thing. Look what Joseph um, turned around and said. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provision for their journey. After this was done for them, they left. So Jacob, so Joseph, not only gave orders to release these men, but he also gave orders to bless these men. Put the silver, their money, back in their sacks. Give them grain for their donkeys and feed. Send them on the way, fully loaded. Send them on the way, blessed. These very men who treated him so evil, these very men who were so wicked to him, Joseph sends them away, blessed, even with silver in their sacks. Amazing. Now listen carefully. The Bible says that you and I deserve to be locked up and have the keys thrown away. We deserve the wrath and the anger of God. That is what we deserve. But the Bible says that God, who in his great love for us, is rich in mercy. So rich is God in mercy. The Bible turns around and says in Ephesians, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Though we are rebels, though we are sinners, though we are wicked and ungodly, though we forsake God time and time again, God, who is rich in mercy, blesses us time and time again. And he doesn't only release us from the bonds of sin. The Bible turns around and he says that he adopts us as his sons and daughters. The Bible turns around and says that he not only adopts us, but he has given us a place in heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I finish preparing it, I will come back and take you to be with me. Not only am I releasing you from sin, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you again with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And guess what? I'm not going to stop blessing you. I'm going to give to you great measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I'm going to give to you so much that you would not be able to store it in your storehouses. I'm going to bless you, says God, with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And yes, you might get some physical blessing, material blessing from that as well. But I'm telling you, the heart of God puts silver in your sacks. Even though you don't deserve it. Even though you should be sent to prison. No, no, you're set free. And as you go on your way, like those brothers, you go away blessed. Praise be to God. Joseph... I don't know how you do it. If I was you, I would have been so angry with those men. They treated you bad. 
surely you should have dealt with them the same way they dealt with you. That's not how God deals with us. We treated him bad. But he doesn't deal with us the same way that we deal with him. He's full of compassion and full of grace. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings conviction. May he bring conviction today as he moves amongst us. That even though we might feel bad and, 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 and guilty, it will drive us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there, when we get to the cross, there's blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace, love upon love, favor upon favor. When we get to the cross, we are truly, truly honored by you. Thank you. Even though we don't deserve a thing, thank you for what you have done. And we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.